But why is it that for each of us, we feel like for us to be happy, we have to walk on the moon? Do we have to walk on the moon to be happy? But what I've learned from Michael and the people that I've been really inspired by is maybe that's not the only one path for us. What if success looks like being a part of a team, finding contentment in our role, regardless of whether or not uh, we are the person that everybody's talking about? Man, do we have a good guest today. Tim Schurer was the right-hand man to Donald Miller for almost a decade. He's now working as the CEO for David Novak Leadership. He has worked at Apple and Tom's, and he's recently written a book called The Secret Society of Success, which he will be talking about today. This is one of those conversations that you just want to buckle up and get a cup of coffee and just listen to it. And by the way, if you get coffee, make sure it's from O'Henry's. That's where this podcast is sponsored by my favorite coffee shop in Birmingham. If you're not here, order it online. And when you come to visit me, we'll go to O'Henry's. All right, let's hop in. If you're listening to this podcast, you likely uh, want to find success in your life. I feel like people who are big podcasters, uh, they're, they're trying to learn, they're trying to grow. And especially for this one, I am talking to a lot of young professionals about how to really lead yourself so you can lead other people and and find that success. And I think today my guest is going to do a great job of maybe redefining what success looks like for you. And I think that I've said this before, but this is one of those that you could witness almost a in-person counseling session for me right now. I'm prepared to learn quite a lot. So y'all buckle up and listen to this one. Tim Schur, welcome to the show. Hey. <laughs> Thanks, man. I'm, I'm pumped to be hanging with you for a bit. This is gonna be great. This is going to be great, and and we need to hear all about you and your background and everything. I'll start with this one though. I saw music business from Belmont. Is, yeah. is that what you did? Yes, but what I really wanted was to be the next John Mayer. That was the real goal, and. I ended up moving to Nashville my junior year of college to go to Belmont. So what do you do? What degree do you choose? Well, music business. But everybody in music business just wanted to probably be an artist. So that was, <laughs> that was really what got me down here. So are you telling me that you're a singer? I'm retired, but I, I have. And there were songs with my name on them on iTunes. I had a MySpace page back in the day, but I, I've gotten rid of all of that. But yes. Oh, is this like a some songs? Am I, am I peering into a, into your closet right now? Like, is this, is this a old Tim? We don't talk about this. Do you, I mean, do you still love singing? Do you, do you sing in church or like, you still gotta, you, you gotta have it in you somewhere. I haven't picked up my guitar for a really long time. The way that I look at it is I actually wouldn't be where I am today without that part of my life. Um, but I, I'm not ashamed of it. I actually am like super grateful for it, but I was just at this event this last week speaking and, and talking about one of these big ideas around, you know, you hear people talk about failure as the pathway to achieving success and yet nobody ever wants to experience failure. But if I'm honest, and what I shared to this audience was, let me go first. I'll share one of my big failures. And I talk about me being trying to be a musician. 
But here's the real problem. Why I believe that season of my life didn't work out. Well, one of the, the reasons why it didn't work out. I wanted to be the next John Mayer, but I just really wanted to be famous. It's mm. not that I tried to be a musician to make people's lives better or anything like that. I just that just kind of love that whole idea of getting up on a stage in front of a lot of people. And I think that's ultimately where I, I went wrong. And so much of, uh, well, at that time, I read this book by Chip and Dan Heath called Made to Stick. And there was a line in there that just like hit me in the gut. They said, they were speaking about marketing, but I applied it to my life. Are you demanding or attracting attention? Hmm. And if I w was looking at my pursuit of music, I was spending a lot of time trying to get people to pay attention to me. Where for some other peers that I had at Belmont, it's just like everything that they did almost seemed effortless. There was this natural attraction. And so it was such a gift to not have that many fans of my music because it ultimately helped me kind of shift into what was I really great at? What could I step into that still gave me that feeling of satisfaction and fulfillment, but maybe was a quarter turn off of what I thought I wanted to do. And, you know, me being a musician didn't work out, but it's funny. I ended up going to school for music business. Well, I ended up jumping then into tour management, which is kind of the person operations wise, running logistics for musicians out on the road. So I did tour management and then I stepped into artist management. And so your artist manager is really that business mind, kind of the partner to the creative. And so here I was moving more into the business side of music, but still loving it. And that to me is where I shifted from kind of demanding attention to attracting attention. I started swimming you know, uh, you know, downstream rather than kind of fighting the current all the time. And so that whole music stage of my career was a pretty important one for me, but ultimately it was what got me to where I am now, which is really kind of serving as the right hand to somebody. And that's how I've spent the last 15 years of my life. I love it. I'm not surprised to hear that you got an amazing lesson out of that. And it actually reminds me of our, um, I was about to say mutual friend, don't know if he knows who I am, but I feel like I know him, Ryan Leak and his book, Chasing Failure, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. and as you were, I know that, that you know him quite well. And as you were pursuing this career path, maybe you failed there, but if you never would have done that, then there's a good chance your life doesn't look like what it looks like now. I told Ryan, because he has this book, Chasing Failure, Right. And so I was talking with Ryan one day and I'm like, look, here's the deal. I'm a only do it if I know I can be successful kind of guy. Right. I'm only going to do something if I know I can win. Why in the world would I ever want to chase failure? Okay. Sell me on it. And what he says, which I just love, is he says, every single setback. Every single failure has a lesson in it that success can't teach you. Mm. And I'm like, dang it, you're right. As I think <laughs> back on my life and all the times that I've really learned the most, it's actually been when I've been willing to just go chase after something. 
And um, sometimes failure has been on the other side of it, but there are definitely some lessons there if you will learn them. And I think that's also a key as well as to be uh, able to even look at something like that with an amount of humility that allows you to try to find the lesson in it. Mm-hmm. Well, I really believe that you learn something from your your music experience because even in with the limited knowledge I have about your book, which we're going to talk about, and I am committing to read because I know I'll learn learn a ton from it. I understand that you know you well. I, I'm going to let you. Everyone, I was about to attempt to like tell a story from Tim's book that I haven't even read and I have him right here. So I think that maybe he should just tell it. But like I'm I'm here <laughs> I'm hearing themes about um hey, you don't have to be the one in the spotlight. It's yeah. okay to be someone's right hand person and just be a part of the team. There's success in that too. So what, why don't why don't you tell us where you started getting some of the ideas for your book and then what it's really about? Yeah, so here I was wanting to be in the spotlight, wanting to be famous. And some of that is just as a, a young person having a dream and an aspiration going after it. Um, but, you know, I, I really also believe that it's this environment that we are all living in, which is the, these cultural pressures to be successful. We're told it's, you know, step into the spotlight, climb the ladder, be the boss, fame, money, power, like this is what success is. And therefore, if you want to be successful, go chase after these things. Well, I tried that. It didn't really work out. <laughs> and in fact, where I started to really get traction is when I was kind of operating behind the scenes as the right hand to a musician, then an author and 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 that's really where I started to feel this deep sense of satisfaction and fulfillment in my life. And so when you hear these cultural messages of, you know, fame, money, power, being in the spotlight, this is the only way that you can find success. Here I am kind of on the other end of the spectrum, being a guy that was leaning in more and more behind the scenes and feeling really happy and content and just feeling really conflicted because I'm like, well, yeah, that's what people are saying. But I don't know. That's just not really been my story. I, I just don't know if I can really buy into that. And so uh, I've started to really get obsessed around this idea of, okay, if that's not success, then what is it? How can we actually learn to define success a little bit differently, perhaps than these cultural messages that we're hearing? And uh, I, I heard about a, a guy named Michael Collins, and that one lesson that I've learned from from this guy that I'd never heard of is really kind of set an anchor for me around what success actually can look like. So um, most people know Apollo 11, you know, Michael Collins, Buzz Aldrin, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. But a lot of people have never heard Michael Collins' name. Michael Collins is the third astronaut on that mission, Okay. But what he does is he ubers Neil and Buzz to the moon. So he's the guy bringing them all the way there, but then he drops them off so that those two guys can do all the things that they needed to do on the moon's surface. He then orbits the moon something like 26 times until the guys are ready to be picked up and brought back to Earth. Wow. And... Why I love Michael Collins so much, why he has been so inspirational to me is that when he got back to earth and sat down with the press, 
there was no ounce of like resentment in his voice, feeling like he was less than, even though he almost got all the way to the moon, but didn't get to take steps on it like his two colleagues. And rather than this inkling of resentment or anything like that, the thing that he talked about was how content he was to have had one of those three seats. Like he was happy to be part of the mission. But why is it that for each of us, we feel like for us to be happy, we have to walk on the moon? Do we have to walk on the moon to be happy? But what I've learned from Michael and the people that I've been really inspired by is maybe that's not the only one path for us. What if success looks like being a part of a team, finding contentment in our role, regardless of whether or not uh, we are the person that everybody's talking about? But I also want to say, you know, quickly, because I think this is an important uh, point as well. I have no problems with the spotlight. And in fact, the spotlight is not the problem. The problem that I have is when people try to talk about the, you know, the person in the spotlight, the CEO, the famous person as like the only one role that matters. But we all know that for any big thing to happen, you need a team of people collaborating to make that happen. Yes, you need the CEO to play the role to be great at, you know, leading, but you also need people in a supporting role, more people in supporting roles, kind of serving the, the larger mission if we actually want to get anything done. So I've just learned that it's the way that we kind of show up that, that really matters, regardless of the role that we happen to find ourselves in. It's powerful. Michael Collins, that's his name? Michael Collins. Man, let's be like Michael Collins. Um, that's right. So... so I would say the majority of people listening to this are young professionals around that age. And so in a world that is bent towards entitlement, uh, and I can say maybe even my age group, I've, I've kind of nerded out on generational studies and Dr. Tim Elmore, one of, one of John Maxwell's thought leaders, wrote a book called A New Kind of Diversity, where he talks about, you know, millennials and Gen Z specifically and, uh, you know, it, it's it's popular to to say, oh, the you know these these millennials or or these Gen Zs, they're they're just entitled. They want a pay raise, they want a promotion. And while I think there's more to it than that, uh, to my listeners that are 25 years old, couple years into their job, who are wanting what you know, I I, I feel like I got to get the pay raise, I got to get the promotion, I got to climb the ladder. Um, how can they apply this to to their role and 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 why is it super important and, and why will it benefit them in the long run to embrace this mindset of not having to be in the spotlight yeah so when i was working with donald miller i spent 10 years working with him building a company called story brand and during that time i hired every single employee and one day there was an application that came in and on this person's resume they had one of my favorite companies listed and I was so excited to talk to this person to find out, you know, what it was like to work at this company. And if I told you the name of the company, you'd, you probably have multiple of their products. So I'm like, okay, you know, during this first interview, tell me everything. 
And she said something that I'll never forget. She said, you know, it's a really competitive environment, but here's the thing. Nobody there has your back. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what do you mean nobody there has your back? Like, what does that even mean? And she goes on to say that everyone was so interested in their own climb in their own journey that they would never do anything that looked like supporting somebody else unless it had something to do with serving their own agenda. So this group of people, the Michael Collinses of the world, I, I, I've started to call the secret society of success. It's this group of people that have really taught me how to think about success in a, you know, a different way. If there is a common denominator for what it looks like to live in the way of the secret society, it's this idea of helping others win. So what I would say to the person who is in their mid-20s, maybe early on in their career journey, the path for you getting where you want to go, I believe, will happen if you help others win. Your own journey will take care of itself. But rather than like knocking somebody down, trying to get around them, or like, what if actually you've looked at more of your colleagues as collaborators than competitors? It just seems like it'd be a whole lot more fun. I actually feel like you'd probably be a lot more fulfilled. But if you can actually have that headspace and that perspective of helping everyone else around you win, well, guess what? You'll probably end up being a leader. Yeah. And if you look at the org chart of the Home Depot, they call it the inverted pyramid. And most org charts at a company, you have the CEO up at the top, right? And it's a, it's a pyramid. Like everybody else, them is, is uh, everybody else is below them. But at the Home Depot, it's the inverted pyramid because they actually flip it upside down. So the CEO is at the bottom in support of every other level of the organization as a way of saying great leaders serve. And I think that that's just another way of saying help others win. Look around and see how you can be of value to the people around you. And if that's how you show up, I just believe that that is going to set you on a much better path. What if I work for an organization that I just, I'm just not so sure that they're going to recognize me helping other people, you know, like if everyone else is, is watching out for themselves, uh, and, and I start helping everybody, you know, and, and are they going to, are they going to pass me up? Like I, I hear a lot of times, you know, with wild spark, I'm talking to HR managers and they, they say how maybe someone does get promoted to manager, but then they're afraid to really be what a leader is supposed to be. Some of that enables and equips and empowers other people because they're afraid, okay, what if these people pass me up. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like it could be like if the CEO, if I work for Home Depot and the CEO is at the bottom, then sure. It's like, I'm supposed to do that. But do you think this still works um, when I'm at an organization that, that most people don't think like this? A few thoughts on this. The first is, I think it's really clear to get to the root of like why it is that you want what you want. Why is it that you're chasing after that thing? So are you showing up at work every day, helping the people around you, but really this is just like Trojan horse for you getting the promotion? 
or are you actually in the headspace of helping other people because that's just how you believe is the better way to live? So the first thing I would say is check yourself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, okay, there's this Zig Ziglar quote that I love and hate at the same time. He says, help <laughs> enough people get what they want and eventually we'll, you'll get what you want, mm. right? I really like the first half of it and I do not like it all the second half. I like the first half, like help people get what they want. But here is the slippery slope. If then it is the second half, which is, and eventually you'll get what you want. Was all of this just a transaction? You're just helping people so that you can get something on the other side, which in the end, if we're being honest, is you're only doing this just to get exactly what you want in the first place. If you are to serve so that you can climb the ladder, I just believe that that is actually not the way to show up in the first place, mm -hmm. right? The secret society, if you were going to show up and that is like the, the, the true essence of the secret society, show up in your life, there is nothing on the other side of the equal sign. Our healthy days are we are helping others win, period. So check yourself. That's the first part. But the second thing I would say is I do think it's important to get connected to a company that aligns with your values. If you're in an organization like the one that I was telling about earlier, the, you know, nobody there has your back. I'm just not so sure I want to work there. Mm -hmm. Even if that kind of competitiveness, the look out for yourself gets promoted, gets elevated, gets a higher salary. For me, I just don't think I would really function well in that environment. And I actually feel like I would probably do better in an organization where, like we were talking about the Home Depot, where that kind of service of others is celebrated. So one of the things that I do uh, each and every day, I'm the CEO of David Novak Leadership. David is the former CEO of Yum! Brands. So KFC, Taco Bell, Pizza Hut, right? So one of the things that David and Yum, they were known for is their recognition culture, where they valued every person's contribution. And David is like, the epitome of the secret society. I mean, this guy shows up and lives that way, helps others win, and has his entire career. So we have a podcast called How Leaders Lead. I spend a lot of time interacting with leaders at the absolute highest level. One example I'm thinking of, Carol Tomei, the CEO of UPS. One of her top priorities as a CEO is to develop her people. You know, so here's an organization, UPS, one of the largest companies in the world. You have the CEO, every leader casts a shadow, right? Like people do what the leader does. Here you have Carol Tomei saying, I'm going to help you win. I'm going to help focus on your development and help you become the best that you possibly can be. If that's not a help others win mindset, I don't know what is. And so not only is it uh, important for you to kind of discover what your gifts at, how you can help others win, but I also really do feel like the sooner you can get into an organization that values the things that you value, I just feel like you're going to be in a better place and in a better spot, headspace for it as well. Yeah. Love the Zig Ziglar quote, because while on one hand, and I'm not preaching like a, a health, wealth, prosperity scenario, but if you do give and help people a lot, sure, there, I would say there's probably a good chance that, that some of that comes back. 
but you can't be doing it for that reason. You, you won't be as authentic and, and people may even like see through that. You do, you just want to help people for the sake of it. And the, the points I, I heard was like, check, check yourself, you know, what, what is it that you really want to do? What, what goal are you actually chasing? And then if you're at an organization uh, that, that doesn't support your values, then, then maybe consider uh, what, what you're doing. Uh, another thing that came to mind, cause, cause a lot of times maybe people who are younger in their careers, um, most of us don't have leadership titles right now. You know, people my age, a couple of years out of college, if they went there. Um, and so we're, we're, we're individual contributors. And I talk a lot about, you don't have to have a title to lead. I mean, a big part of leadership is just helping other people um, and, and, and putting them above yourself. I mean, servant leadership right there. So I feel like that's definitely an opportunity. But one thing I just thought about was like networking too. something, something tells me that you're a, you're a big networker. And I feel like I'm starting to crack the code on like, oh my gosh, I know all of these people from these various events and how many people could I help again? got to be vulnerable here. Sometimes the first thought is, Ooh, maybe I could get that. And I'm like, no, 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 just for the sake of helping people. But like how many people could I just introduce to each other and it could have a radical impact on their life. So long way to say, does, do you feel like what you're talking about applies to kind of connecting other people and networking? The first feeling in my body when you say networking is cringe. <laughs> like I yeah. hate it so much. I really do. But also, on you know, this is also true. I happen to be connected and like love that part of life, like the connection of, oh, we have this mutual friend and, you know, you talking to even about Ryan Leak. I'm like, I love Ryan Leak, right? So there's something that I don't like about it, which is if, if you were to ever invite me to a networking lunch or dinner, I would not go because I hate them. <laughs> yeah. But what I really like is authentic relationships. And so speaking to one of the things that you said, I'm smart enough to know that sometimes the connection to certain people can yield a particular result that I might have in mind or an opportunity that might be really fun. And so you can either work really hard to manufacture that and, you know, it kind of feel gross or just step into that and just kind of see what happens. So I don't think it's bad to, you know, strategically think about who you're connecting with and interacting with and all that. But, but I also do feel like along the way, it is important to really check your intentions and be like, am I only doing this? Because actually I really do want something on the other side and wanting things is not bad. I guess mm -hmm. it's just like, you really do just got to check yourself all the time. And this is something that I talk about a lot, which is, so we live in this tension between two things. And we're living in this tension each and every day. So the two sides of the spectrum here are the spotlight mindset, which I just define as this unhealthy desire for attention and recognition. And then the other side of the spectrum, which is learning to live in the way of the secret society. And the, the, the way of the secret society is very much that, you know, help others win. It's the most healthy headspace and version of ourselves available. But there are days when we are just wrestling with the reality of both of those things. Mm -hmm. Like there's things that I want and I aspire to. And 
you know, I want to be famous. I want to be seen and valued and known and, you know, but also really want to help other people win and don't mind at all if I ever get the credit for that. And so the reality is there is not a day that you're going to wake up and say, I never struggle with the spotlight mindset or, you know, a, a, a sense of, um, comparison that's just uh, really got me into a weird headspace. You know, there are, there is never going to be a day where you completely overcome that. So I feel like in each of these little moments, when you're about to, you know, send that email to network, whatever, I just think it's a really good moment to just check in with yourself, have that self-awareness and just make sure that you are really proud for all of the ways that you're showing up, you know, and, and the motivations behind you doing what you're doing. Um, we could talk more about that, but that's the yeah. first thing that comes to mind when I, I talk a little I, bit about networking. Yeah. I, now that I think about it, like the, the word itself, it, it, it sounds kind of icky. I, I, th I think it's interesting because with me graduating in the middle of COVID I, and me only working for a few years, I haven't been to a whole lot of quote, like networking events. Um, even this podcast, I've been open about this. It's, it's, it's not with the intent of, of getting something out of someone, but we, you know, I think I've adjusted like building authentic relationships. I think that, that that's kind of what I mean. And that's what I'm hoping to do mm -hmm. more of, and, and definitely want to encourage the people listening, just build authentic relationships with people and help them where you can. And, you know, don't worry about what you're going to get in return, you know, um, in authentic right. relationships are win-win scenarios. Yeah. Right. It's not only thinking about how you're going to benefit from it, but it also is, can I actually really add value to this person as well? That already is a really great starting point. Mm. Yeah. So I want people to read your book, but what, what are some, what are some pillars from it? Uh, maybe, maybe some takeaways that people can get excited about before they dive into it. Yeah. So one of my favorite leaders having spent a few years at Apple and kind of gotten to experience a little bit of this firsthand. I wasn't sitting in rooms with Tim Cook, but like I said, leaders cast a shadow. You know, even in an organization as large as that, the decisions that are made at the top find their way into the rest of the organization and you know, the way that Tim Cook leads has been really inspiring to me. And there's a really special moment from the moment when they released the Apple Watch. So this was actually the first new product in a new category that had been released since Steve Jobs' passing. Mm. So here Tim Cook had been for the last couple of decades in the shadow of Steve Jobs, very much under the radar. And he, at the end of this big announcement, is being interviewed on national television, and David Muir asks him, is this the moment for you, the moment of your career at Apple? So just think for a second how you would respond if you're Tim yeah. Cook in that moment. Yeah. You probably would want to use it as a moment to let people know you're the next one to really lead the company into this new era. You know, talk about all the wins that you had had over the last couple of decades, all this work that nobody had seen, but that had really, you know, given you this great opportunity. You'd want to probably just take the bait to make it about yourself. 
That's, I feel like, what all of us would be tempted to do. But that's not at all what Tim Cook does. Is this the moment for you, the moment of your career at Apple? He says, well, it's a moment for Apple. I don't really think about myself that much. Wow. And those two sentences tell me everything that I need to know about how Tim Cook shows up as a leader. To me, it's this humble confidence. Confidence knowing the value that he brings to the table. So therefore, he doesn't need to remind us all about it. But it's also this humility of you know, acknowledging that to release an Apple Watch takes hundreds, if not thousands, of employees. And his response reminds me of this plaque. I'm actually reaching behind me to grab you this little thing. So it's this little plaque that sat on Ronald Reagan's desk when he was president. I actually got the exact same one from my office. And it says this, there is no limit to what a man can do or where he can go if he doesn't mind who gets the credit. Woo. It's good. So, so good. Success is in not needing the credit. That's one of the, the big pillars that we talk about. Wow. So it makes me think of Tim Tosopoulos. Uh, mm -hmm. He's been the president of Chick-fil-A for forever. And at Wild Spark, we went to their conference in San Diego at the beginning of this year. And talk about somebody who does not want to be in the spotlight. And it's just been a right-hand guy for decades. Like Tim Tosopoulos, the president of Chick-fil-A, he was one of them. And he had that same plaque on his desk. And I think it was Henry Clout that gave like a speech honoring him because Henry did a lot of executive coaching and consulting for them. But he said, you know, I, I, Tim had this on his desk for, for decades and he lived this out. And the reason that tonight is all about you, you know, with all the 3,000 Chick-fil-A operators and their spouses and the support center staff, and, and I mean, they went on and on for like an hour and a half telling stories about him at the end of his career, this pivotal moment. They said, like, the reason that tonight is all about you is because you never made it all about you. And like me sitting there, 24 years old, young in my career, ambitious. I'm like, wow. So yeah. now I'm being reminded in real time of that quote. I probably need to get one of those and put it on my desk, too. That's right. <laughs> I need it, too. I need it, too. Tim did as well. Mm -hmm. Here he was, a guy who showed up that way for 40 years, whatever. I'm sure he needed that reminder every day because we all are tempted to make it about us. And unless we work really hard and intentionally try to swim upstream, this is how we default. Selfishness is how we default. And so what I try to do is put myself around really great leaders that I admire that actually remind me that this is how to show up. And I do that by listening to podcasts, by reading books. I mean, I just try to surround myself with those kinds of thoughts because it's too easy to slip back into the other, the other patterns. Mm. Yeah. We need that hey, daily reminder. Here's another really big one. Um, that I, I love. So um, this goes back to something that you were talking about around um, kind of not needing a stage or a platform. I can't remember the exact phrasing, but it, it kind of has got me thinking about um, this idea. So I live in Nashville and 
1997, there was a lady named Becca Stevens, and she opened a home to help five women get off the streets who had been experiencing lives of drug addiction, prostitution. Some of them had been trafficked. So she helps these five women get off the streets. And so the whole intent was just to help them recover from some of this trauma and kind of help them navigate their way into a, you know, a better way of living. And so what, what they found was that the recovery was going well. You know, these women were off the streets. They weren't using drugs, you know, trying to get reintegrated back into society. They were having a really hard time just finding jobs. A lot of these women had criminal records, and it's hard to get a job sometimes when you have to list all of the, this on, you know, your, your past. So they decided to start a company called Thistle Farms where they would make soaps and lotions and candles. And the women that are in this recovery program were the ones working and, and creating these products. So it, it became this social enterprise. So today, Thistle Farms has grown pretty significantly. And you actually can go and get a tour of the facility. And often, um, the, the women giving the tours are, are women who had graduated from this recovery program. It's a two-year program. And so I was bringing a bunch of friends to Thistle Farms every week. And so I would go on this first-timer tour quite often. And while you're on this tour, you, one of the women will, will tell you their story. And there was a, a woman named Jennifer who uh, I had gotten to, to meet over all that time. So getting to learn more about Jennifer's story, here she had been uh, before she got the Thistle Farms with an 18-year heroin addiction, jails, homelessness, psych wards, rehabs. She says that her life had evolved into an intentional unconsciousness. That's how she wanted it because she didn't want to have to feel all of that pain. And she gets introduced to Becca actually graduates from the, the program in 2012. And I remember asking her one day, I was like, Jennifer, where would you be without Becca Stevens' influence in your life? Like, where would you be? And she didn't hesitate. She didn't pause. She says, I'd be dead. <clears throat> without Becca, I'd be dead. And there's this myth that a lot of people believe, which is if you truly want to make an impact, if you want your life to matter, you need to influence tens, hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands, millions of lives. I just think that's a myth. Yeah. What I believe is you don't need a stage to make an impact. And in fact, this way that Becca Stevens lived her life, is focusing on one life at a time. And so I think that for each of us, regardless of the size of, you know, our social platform, if we have a big job title, if we don't, there's all, all of us have one life that we likely have the opportunity to impact. And what's amazing about if we start to look at success as one life at a time, it actually takes a lot of the pressure off because we can just show up today and have that one conversation 
we can show up today, think about that one colleague that maybe needs us to you know, support them. That's very much a help others win. What if you, you know, focus on one life at a time? Well, what's amazing about you know, Becca is here they've been living and operating this way within Thistle Farms for 25 years. There are now over 600 beds available for free for this two-year recovery program to help women get off the streets from drug addiction, prostitution, trafficking, help them to truly recover. And they've helped thousands and thousands of women recover. But what's amazing to me is Blake Mykoski of Tom's started the exact same way. He never set out to launch this giant social enterprise or anything. But what happened was he was just trying to get shoes for a village of 200 kids. Well, here we are, 95 million pairs of shoes later. Mm. But he didn't set out to become the fastest, uh, fastest growing shoe company in the world. But he did all of that by focusing on one life at a time. And I think that that is possible for each of us. Like success is one life at a time. It, this is the the second thing that you said it, that's just confirming this is the lesson that I need to hear. Our CEO showed us a Andy Stanley sermon earlier this week, and I think it was from like the early 2000s, but he was saying, do for one what you wish you could do for everybody. And I think so often we are like, well, because I can't solve world hunger, I'm going to help no one, <laughs> you know, or, or because I can't... Uh, be under the spotlight and I'm never going to be the best of the best. I just won't try. And I love the, the story and the, the inspiration just to, to find that one person. And it also, I just finished reading this. Is, everyone says read books like monthly or yearly. Like you got to have those books that you read a lot. One of those for me is becoming the freedom of, of self-forgetfulness. Mm. Um, I don't know if you've read that one, but uh -huh. it's by Tim Keller and I mean, he talks a lot about humility. He references the C.S. Lewis quote, which I just feel like is like all over your book about like humility isn't thinking less about yourself. It's just thinking of yourself yeah. less. Yeah. And there's That's so right. much freedom to be found. The pressure's off. Like you said, when, um, when you just make it about other people or one other person. And I mean, the freedom of self-forgetfulness is, is a Christian book. I think anyone that, whether you're a Christian or not, you could learn a lot from it. But it just talks about how every day us as humans, we put ourselves on trial. Like we, we wake up mm -hmm. and we're already in the courtroom and we feel like we have to, to prove that we're worthy, that we are something. And he reads a Madonna quote who's accomplished more than so many people. But she even says, even after I've done this, 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 and this, it's like, I feel like I'm supposed to do more. Or Tom Brady, after he wins a big Super Bowl, is like, is this it? And so you see people even at the top saying that. And so for, for me, for you, for a lot of the people listening, I, I, I'm just super encouraged to hear like, just, just start with one person and don't make it about you. And this is super hard for me. I'm, I, I just referenced like four books, but I heard um, John Mark Comer uh, talked about, it's like a spiritual gift and I don't want to botch what he called it, but the, he, he basically was really preaching practice doing something pretty profound that no one will ever know about like mm. and 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 
I just look at my life and I'm like, I do so many things that I'm not going to go out and brag about, but I know somehow, some way somebody saw it and it'll kind of get out. But like, what are we doing that we almost just know that nobody will even know about? I feel like that's how you really test your heart. You know, there's a, a practice that one of my friends worked with Pete Carroll of the Seahawks for years. And uh, there's a guy, Daniel Coyle, he, he wrote about something in one of his books uh, that he, he called muscular humility. And mm. Pete Carroll did this by, he would just go around campus and like pick up trash. And there's other people that have been known for doing that similar kind of thing. But I think it's one of those things that you talk about. If you're going to go pick up trash in a bathroom to just help Somebody who may have to actually, as their job, come in and clean that up. What if you had already wiped off the counter that was just soaking wet or picked up the trash that had been on the ground? That's one of those things that nobody would ever see it. But are you willing to do that as an act of muscular humility? And, and there are probably other ways in your life where you can you know, elicit that same kind of thing. But I, I love exactly what you're talking about there because... It really comes down to like, why are you doing all this stuff? You know, we, we hadn't talked about this yet, but there is so much that I feel like there's so much importance in us to define what success is. So if I were to ask you, fill in the blank, success is like, how would you fill that in? It's <laughs> a and great actually, question. How would your calendar? fill that in? Like, how would your conversations fill them? Like, how are you actually showing up today? And then how do you want to live? And is there consistency in those things? The reality is, if we don't take the time to define what success is, subconsciously, we start to live according to other people's definitions of success for our lives. So like, who do you want to be? If you want to be somebody who's helping others win, and let's also just acknowledge there's a really great chance that you, you might not get all the promotions that somebody who's maybe a little bit more self-serving might get. You know, if you're just going to do it and not talk about your success so much, there's a really great chance that the person who's kind of constantly talking about all the wins that they have publicly, they might get a little more attention. They might get the job. So are you willing to show up in a way that you're really proud of and maybe not get the promotion, maybe make a little bit less money, maybe, you know, are you cool with that? Mm. I, I just feel like I've landed on, I think I'm okay with that because the way that I define success is not necessarily in the job title the amount of money that I have, you know, there's a lot of other ways that I think about it. And if there's been like a North star for me as I was writing this book, but also the way that I, I want to show up in my life and in my leadership, it's this quote by a guy named Albert Schweitzer. And he says, I don't know what your destiny will be. Some of you will perhaps occupy remarkable positions. Perhaps some of you will become famous by your pens or as artists. But I know one thing, the only ones among you who will be really happy are those who have sought and found how to serve. And to me, I'm like, that's it, right? Like that is the secret society in a nutshell. That is 
helping others win. And as I think about success, the kinds of people I'm inspired by and also the kind of person that I want to be, that is how I want to show up, regardless of what that gets for me in the end. I have nothing to say, and I think we should end on that. That was just that was just good. That was good. Uh, <laughs> Tim, uh, I am, I'm learning quite a lot from you. I'm excited to read your book. Everyone listening to this, um, I know by this point, you've already probably paused and gone to Amazon and bought it. But if you haven't yet, go click the link below. Uh, but, but seriously, Tim, thank you so much for doing this with me. I've got a, got a lot to process today, but I didn't tell you this before. Some people might think this is cheesy, but I need you to tell everybody to wake up and lead. That's kind of how I like to end these. So I usually say it's time for you and me, and then you say to wake up and lead. Can we do that? Let's do it. All right, sweet. It's time for you and me. Wake up and lead. Come on.